So uh, today, we want to get a little, back, a little bit back on track uh, in our uh, study in uh, Breshit, in Genesis, right? And we're up to chapter 24. We're up to chapter 24. And now we, we are, the way I, just in my own head, the way I wrap my head around it, now we're getting into a part of Genesis, which is really the rest of the book, where we have like these, these stories, long stories uh, about uh, the uh, progression of Abraham's family. Uh, and so, uh, therefore, in our study, we're going to be looking at these in, a, in sort of a larger context. Uh, and so today we want to look at this great story uh, in chapter 24, uh, which is about Rebekah, right? About uh, how the servant goes and finds a wife for uh, Isaac. So there, there's a lot about this passage that if we were taking an MSI class on Genesis or uh, the Torah course, we would learn a lot about the importance of this passage in relationship to the whole book. Uh, and just in, in passing, I will say that chapter 24 is important because it's a transition from the story all about Abraham and Sarah to really the story of Jacob and Esau. Uh, you know, the, the story of Isaac and Rebekah really is subsumed under the, in the story of Jacob's life. So it's kind of interesting how Isaac has like this passive role in, this, in the story of the patriarchs. And that in and of itself is interesting for another day. But uh, basically what is happening is you read at the beginning of chapter 24. Now Abraham was old, advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in every way. It's like the end of the story. And now he can die in peace. You know, he lived to a ripe old age. He had a great life. Uh, Abraham's life story is one where he leaves his uh, family he goes to the land that God promised. God blesses him, shows him his favor in so many ways. He becomes wealthy. He becomes well-known, like fame and fortune, right? Uh, yet uh, he is a, a man who trusts God. And over time, we see how he trusts God more and more. We see the discipleship of Abraham as you move from chapter 12 to chapter 22, really. Uh, and this great high point of his life on Mount Moriah with, with Isaac. Uh, you know, there this great moment of faith and trust in God. And uh, God gives him children. And, uh, and, and then, of course, you know, in chapter 25, we read about uh, Abraham's married again and has many children. Now, in the, in the chronology, it is very possible that, the, that his marriage to Keturah and all those other children take place before this, it is very possible that it's after this that then Abraham dies. Uh, but nevertheless, either way, uh, what you have here is really the, uh, the, the end of Abraham's story. Now, if I were Abraham, I might be thinking, well, God blessed me and now I can die in peace. Look it, I had the child of promise, you know, uh, Isaac. Uh, and now I can die in peace. But that is not how this story goes. Uh, Abraham recognizes 
that God's plan is not just about his own well-being and his own blessing and living a blessed life, you know, and really like having it all. I mean, wouldn't it be great? Let's just, I mean, forget about everything else. Wouldn't it be great? You, you live your life, you know the Lord, so you, you, know, you, you know the Lord, you're saved, you, you have a personal relationship with God. Your spouse, you know, loves the Lord together and you've served together. Yes, you've had, you know, some difficulty along the way, like Abraham and Sarah, but, but okay, you know. And then I have children and, and I see that I have this son of promise, you know, and, and fame and fortune. I can die in peace, you know. Uh, but Abraham recognizes, believe it or not, that the plan of God, that's not the plan of God. That's not really... It's a very myopic view of the plan of God, that it's all about me feeling good and living a rich, well life so I can die and and go to heaven when I die. (laughs) Uh, But the plan of God is much larger than that, right? In fact, it isn't even about specifically uh, our own uh, uh, well-being, but about a much larger event. And so Abraham recognizes that. And so he is concerned. We read here uh, in chapter 24, again at the beginning, and Abraham said to his servant, and isn't it interesting, his servant is never named in this. Now, it could be Eliezer, the servant from the previous servant. Might be. Uh, But uh, uh, nevertheless, uh, he is submissive to Abraham. And Abraham, at the beginning, at the beginning, Abraham is his master. Okay? All right. So Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household who had charge of all that he owned, please place your hand under my thigh and I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I live, but you shall go to my country and to my relatives and take a wife for my son Isaac. And the servant said to him, Suppose the woman will not be willing to follow me to this land. Should I take your son back to the land from where you came? Then Abraham said, Beware lest you take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my birth, and who spoke to me and who swore to me, saying to your descendants, I will give this land, he will send his angel before you and you will take a wife for my son. Uh, from there. Abraham understood a number of different things here. He understood that uh, not only did Isaac need to be born as the son of promise, but Isaac needed to be married so that he could also have children because the promise was not only for Abraham, but for his, uh, his descendants. Okay? Uh, and uh, so now how important, of course, uh, is, this, uh, is this for us? Abraham understands that Isaac is not to go to that land, lest he find a pagan wife on the way, but how important it is for him to stay in the land and how important it is for him to have a wife uh, who is not a Canaanite, not just somebody uh, uh, from uh, the land, okay? So certainly, how important is this uh, uh, for us uh, uh, here? 
uh, we see that uh, Abraham is concerned about the next future generations and what's going to happen uh, to future generations and how important it is for his son to be in a right relationship. Okay, now we're going to, of course, we're going to come back to this. Now, we see then the servant goes, right? Uh, and we read in verses uh, 11 to 14, he, uh, the servant goes and he, and he goes to the watering hole, which is where you meet people, okay? And he says, uh, he knelt, it says, he knelt down, he made, and he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at evening time and the time when women go out to draw water. And he said, O Lord, the God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show loving kindness to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Now may it be that the girl to whom I say, please let down your jar so that I may drink, and who answers, Drink, and I will water your camels also. May she be the one whom thou hast appointed for thy servant Isaac. And by this I shall know that thou hast shown loving kindness to my master. Okay, so the servant goes, and he, uh, and he goes to the, uh, the place he's supposed to, uh, to go to, where, his, where Abraham's family is, right? And then he prays. Lord, you know, give me discernment. I, uh, uh, give, me, uh, give, give me wisdom uh, to, uh, you know, to do the right thing, uh, to find the right girl, and, uh, and, and may, and may uh, I find uh, the right one. Then in verse 15, we see here, he, his prayer's answered. Don't these Bible stories come so convenient to us, right? And it came about before he had finished speaking, that behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor, came out with her jar and her shoulder. So Rebekah is Isaac's first cousin, okay? And the girl was very beautiful, a virgin, and no man had, been, had had relations with her. And she went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her. And said, please let me drink a little water from your jar. And she said, drink, my Lord. And she quickly lowered her jar to her hand and gave him a drink. And when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw also for your camels until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran back to the well to draw, and she drew for all his uh, all his uh, camels. So she's she has all of the credentials, right? Uh, she's uh, from uh, uh, I mean, you talk about a close relative. You can't get any closer, right? His brother's daughter, right? Uh, and uh, she's not a Canaanite, and she's beautiful. She's never been with a man. And she has a servant's heart, you know? She waters his camels and, and all of that. Uh, she, uh, you know, indeed is the right person. Uh, then in verse 25, we read, We have plenty of both straw and feed to room and lodge in. 
Then the man bowed low and worshipped the Lord. Yes. Right? Okay. And he said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his loving kindness and his truth toward my master. As for me, the Lord has guided me in the way to the house of my master's brothers. So she also shows hospitality uh, on, on top of it and invites him, invites him to come. She runs home, tells her family and so on. And then if we jump all, then, then of course, the servant recounts the whole story, right? And it's interesting the way he recounts it. Uh, but for our purposes, we want to jump all the way down to verse 50. Because now he has retold the whole story, okay? Uh, and uh, and I, I will say, in his retelling, he focuses on a couple of important things. Uh, uh, one is the wealth of Abraham. He talks about how Abraham is blessed, wealthy, and he has a son, right? Uh, which means a wealthy son. And not only that, but he is the son of their old age. So you have... Abraham and Sarah are old, they're wealthy, and they have a son who is marriageable, and I've come to find a wife. It just doesn't get any better than that. Uh, all right? Uh, okay. Uh, so uh, what's interesting here uh, is that he invokes the name of the Lord. And as we'll see, you know, it's important when you read this. We already know about Laban, Lavan. We already know what he's like. But we don't know, we're not supposed to know what he's like yet. You know what I mean? So you don't want to read the story backwards. All right? Uh, and I think that's actually important uh, in really understanding what's going on. So what, what I uh, think is rather interesting is that when Abraham has this encounter with God back in chapter 12, he's here. He's here with Nahor. And Terach. And so when you read commentaries about, well, isn't it interesting that Laban invokes the name of the Lord? Some, some are very quick to say, oh, he mu it must have come from Rebekah who recounted how the servant invoked the name of the Lord. And so she told her brother. And so in order to make the servant feel good, Laban invokes the name of the Lord. Whew. Maybe. I mean, that could be. But maybe when Abraham says, go to my family, he knows that they have some kind of sense of God, the God of Abraham. And that's why he doesn't want, uh, uh, the primary reason why he doesn't want his son to be married to a Canaanite. It's not only ethnic, but it is also spiritual. Very, very important. Okay, And I would suggest that that's why Laban invokes the Lord's name. Because there was a sense, you know, do you know people that invoke God's name that are greedy? <laughs> Maybe, right? Uh, you, you, you know, and, uh, and so uh, I would suggest that's why Abraham was so adamant, because there was nobody else, evidently, around him, and go to my family, because that's where his wife needs to come from, because... Isaac is this child of promise, okay? All right, so he recounts the story, and then we come to verse 50. Isn't it amazing how we can get all the way to verse 50 in a couple of minutes? Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, The matter comes from the Lord, so we cannot speak to you good or bad. Isn't that the matter comes from the Lord? 
I don't automatically assume they're playing a game, okay? You know, feel free to think about that and chew on it. It's okay. Behold, Rebecca is before you. Take her and go, and let her be the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has spoken. And it came about when Abraham's servant heard these words again. Yes, he bows himself to the ground before the Lord. Three times he does this in this story. You know, because he's prayed and he sees that this is the invisible hand of God. You know, you don't see miraculous events here like waters parting or somebody appeared. Or, but we see that, you know, uh, Abraham had the will to say to the servant, I need you to go and do this. And this is where I need you to go. The servant says, yes, I will obey. Right. And he has the will to move forward and follow what Abraham says and not take any shortcuts about it. And you know, it was no small task to walk from where Abraham was to, where, to Mesopotamia, right? So it's interesting how we don't read about, we just says, and they got there. <laughs> Whoa, you know? So that's kind of interesting just to think about. Uh, and, uh, and so not only that, but Rebecca, as we'll see, Rebecca has to want to leave her family. And her brother and family have to say, yes, go. So there's this combination of God guiding and directing uh, and people following through on it. So very interesting, okay? And very interesting about how God works in this world. There is a, and I use the word in quotation marks, partnership oftentimes between ourselves and God. You know, I, you know, I was just uh, speaking to a, a, a young lady in our congregation recently about school and about being concerned about passing a test in school. And I said, you know, there's two parts to it. One part is we pray, and the other part is you have to work really hard at studying, you know? Because if you just pray but don't work really hard at studying, you're, you know, the Lord can't bless that if your will is not participating. Certainly there are exceptions, you know? But those exceptions are not the norm whatsoever. Yes, God can miraculously make you remember everything at the last, but that is like there's very little chance of that, okay? Let's deal with like reality, okay? Uh, secondly, if you work really hard but you don't pray, you might do well, but boy, you really, you're, you're not taking advantage, so to speak, of the power of God, uh, you know, to, to be able to help you to recall everything. So there's both praying and acting, right? Both of them. And we see that everybody participating, you know, here, but God is certainly in the center of, uh, you know, of it all, okay? So Laban and Bethuel answered, said, the matter comes from the Lord, for we cannot speak to you good or bad. Behold, Rebekah is before you. Take her and go. And let her be the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has spoken. And it came about when Abraham's servant heard these words, that he bowed himself to the ground before the Lord. And the servant brought out articles of silver and gold. What that is in the next few verses is basically the bride's price, right? He's giving the, uh, you know, in the ancient world, this is how this, this deal was made, right? Giving the, 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 uh, the gifts uh, uh, to, uh, uh, to the family. Right? And so they're ready to go. Uh, but then in verse 55, we read, But her brother and her mother said, Notice her father is not involved anymore. That's kind of interesting. There's, there's some interesting reasons for that. But anyway. But her brother and her mother said, Let the girl stay with us a few days, 
say uh, 10. Afterward, she may go. And he said to them, do not delay me since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away that I may go to my master. And they said, we will call the girl and consult her wishes. Not necessarily about the marriage, but about you're leaving, the fa- you're leaving and going. And it is quite interesting. And they called Rebecca and said to her, will you go with this man? And she said, I will go. It almost sounds like Abraham, you know, leaving the land, go, go to the land that I will show you. You know, Rebecca is part of the promise. She must go. All right. Thus, they sent away their sister, Rebecca, and her nurse. And you know what her, remember what her nurse is? Deborah is her name. Anyway, uh, with Abraham's servant and his men. And they blessed Rebecca. And said to her, may you, our sister, become thousands of ten thousands. In other words, you know, and may your descendants possess the gate of those who hate them. May you be prosperous, may you be victorious, and may you have a lot of children. And may you have a lot of descendants. Then Rebekah arose with her maids, and they mounted the camels and followed the man. And the servant took Rebekah and departed. Okay, now, meanwhile... Isaac had, been, uh, had come from going to uh, Beer Laheroi, for he was living in the Negev. You know what's, I just can't help. You know what's interesting about, you know who lives there? Ishmael lives there. And it's very interesting that Ishmael lives there. Perhaps, as we'll see at Abraham, when Abraham dies, Isaac and Ishmael come together, you know? So perhaps there is something about Isaac and Ishmael here that is kind of interesting. Okay? All right. And Isaac went out to uh, meditate in the field toward the evening, and he lifted up his eyes, and behold, camels are coming! And Rebekah lifted her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel. You know, you know that? There you go. All right. After the dismounting from the camel. Okay. All right. And she said to the servant, who is that man walking in the field to meet us? And the servant said, he is my master. Then she took her veil and covered herself. And the servant took Isaac all the things, told Isaac, all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent, and he took Rebekah, and she became his wife. And he loved her, thus Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Okay, so what's very interesting about the end of the story is, who is the servant's master? Isaac, my master. Now, at the very end of the story, the master is Isaac. That leads many to believe, you see, that perhaps Abraham is either on his deathbed or, or he is actually deceased, okay? Uh, uh, and, that, and that the next chapter, uh, chronologically, perhaps took place before this with Keturah and, and all the others. Maybe, you know, just maybe. But it is very interesting because then the next chapter, Abraham dies at the beginning of the chapter, you know? So just kind of interesting things to think about in in Genesis. (laughs) Okay, so you also see Isaac is like passive. Isaac is is an interesting figure. He's passive the whole, like the whole time, you know? And then even, you know, in this, in uh, later on, we'll see with Jacob and Esau, um, Isaac is, uh, is a very interesting figure in this. But really, it's going to go from the Abraham story to the Jacob story, uh, moving the story of the children of Israel uh, uh, forward. Okay, so why do we, ha- we have this whole long chapter here describing how Rebekah comes on the scene? It tells us 
just how important uh, Rebecca is for moving the, the, for the door from the generation to generation, for moving from one generation to another. Abraham saw that there, was, that there was a need for a next generation. And we see how this indeed comes to pass. There's a lot of basic lessons we can learn here about prayer, right? Perhaps you've heard messages about how this, we're like the servant, you know, and we need to serve the Lord and we need to follow through and we need to pray about everything and we need to make ourselves available, right? And, and so on and so forth. And and certainly that is in that is indeed true. A uh, very good lesson. Lessons about prayer and and uh, and uh, moving forward in in the will of God and so on. But perhaps for us the overarching lesson here is preparing for another generation, uh, recognizing that uh, everything that we're doing is not just about us. And boy, as I was studying this, this is so true on on many levels. Not only as myself, you know, uh, speaking of, thinking about myself, a father, uh, children, you know, and then grandchildren, and and, and, I, and I will say that, uh, and now I can say this uh, in my own personal experience, uh, that you know, being a parent, there's a that's not for wimps, right? You know, and uh, you go from your kids loving you to your to you don't know anything and. You know, and uh, rough, rough times, been through, been through it, been through it, okay? Uh, but I will say, I've been to the other side of that mountain now, all right? Uh, and, and I can say that it gets really good. It gets really good on the other side, uh, okay? Uh, and, uh, and, uh, but my, my point there is uh, simply that, that as a parent, and many of you are parents, or you hope to be parents, and or you've been parents, right? Or you had, everyone has had parents, right? Uh, and that is that, that there's more to the story than when our kids are little, right? There's more to the story than when they're 10 or 15, right? And I will say, if you're 10 or you're 15, there's more to your story, right? Your story is not just about, uh, uh, you know, getting through the test or getting through the grade, but there's a, there's a whole trajectory, Right? Uh, and you're part of something much larger than yourself. And I say that now as speaking, looking at us. You know, uh, Beth Messiah, and you could say this about any community of believers. Beth Messiah is not just about us. And it's not just about, we always, we love to look back. Back in the 70s. And we romanticize the whole thing. Believe me. Okay. Back in the 70s, back in the early 80s, this and that, right? And now here we are now. And, uh, and basically, our movement has been a movement of baby boomers, really. Uh, the primary people in this whole modern Messianic Jewish movement has been baby boomers, people born from the 40s to the mid-60s, you know? Uh, and then you have children and, and so on, and, 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 and we move forward. But... You know, we have to recognize uh, that uh, we have to, that, that there's another, the other generations must come. Now, we've been saying that for a long time, right? I remember when my good friend Rich Nickel gave a message at a UMJC conference that had perhaps the best title of any message I ever heard. You know what I'm talking about? It's called 
The Graying of the Union. What a great title, right? It was like over 20 years ago. Uh, the Graying of the Union. Speaking of the Union of Messianic Jewish Congregants. You know. But again, that's irrelevant. The fact is, is that we're not getting any younger. Uh, and our congregation is like many, many congregations where, uh, uh, you know, what's coming? What are we going to... Well, what's happening now is there is such a great need for future uh, generations of leaders, of, of people to get the vision uh, and, and take the baton and do it differently, but do it, <laughs> you, you, you know, and, and moving uh, this all forward. So we need certainly to be very concerned about future generations. And young people need to be very concerned about recognizing that you're part of this. You're part of this. It's not just about us turning something over. It's about people being on the receiving end to do it, you know, to get a vision, a calling uh, from, uh, uh, from God. And so, therefore, we need to look at this passage and say there's some pretty important things here. One is Isaac couldn't marry anybody. He couldn't get in a relationship with just anybody. Wouldn't it have been easy for Abraham to say, look, there's some nice people over here. Okay, they're different than us, but she'll convert and it'll be great, right? You know, that often, most often doesn't happen, <laughs> okay? Uh, and so Abraham said, you, you know, servant, go far and wide. You got to go to the place where the Lord's name is invoked. And that's where the wife needs to come from. So I would say to our young people that, you know, you have a great future, uh, in, in the Lord, if, if you've received the Lord into your life, of course, you know, but you have a great future and a great trajectory, and there are marvelous things that, that God wants to do in your life. Very important to be in a relationship with the opposite sex who qualifies, right? God, oh, that sounds horrible, doesn't it? Right? You know, uh, who qualifies. Qualifies is not just attractive, qualifies is not just we get along qualifies is not just what a great family that family is you you know uh qualifies is uh here taking this being of like-minded trust and faith there's more but that's what we'll start like-minded trust and faith because it is much easier much easier to be pulled down than to pull up. Much easier, okay? Uh, and I will just say that from my own experience of what I have seen in my life, and I'm sure others will resonate with this, that it all seems good until it's time to have children, right? And then will my children be Jewish or will they know the Lord or do I have to make some kind of compromise now? you know, uh, that becomes a huge issue. Not only that, but even the way you have a household and, and the way you see the, the, the present and the, and, the, and the future. Now, I will also say, it's, a, it's a, another thing we see here, uh, is that Abraham went back to his people. He went back to his people. So I will say this, that if we really are serious about propagating a messianic Jewish future, that if, we're, if our kids are Jewish, now, this really narrows down the fish in the pond, right? Right? 
not only a believer, but someone who's also Jewish, to be able to propagate this same messianic Jewish identity. Am I saying that, uh, am I saying that, uh, no, that if you're Jewish and you're a believer, that if you marry someone who's a, or you're in a relationship with someone who's a believer but not Jewish, that's terrible and wrong? No, I am uh, guilty as charged, okay? I mean, I'll tell you that right now, you know? But it doesn't always work out where you get to end up in in a Messianic Jewish environment. Yes, we have some great folks here, many of us who are intermarried, but but where the, the spouse who is not Jewish basically jumps into the Jewish pool, you, you know? And that is a tremendous thing for which I, I can't get over, you know? Uh, and, and that is, but that doesn't always happen, see? But first and foremost, someone of faith. By the way, very helpful to go to the UMJC conference for this purpose, okay? Anyway, I can also tell you that, all right? from my own personal experience. All right. Uh, so very, very important, not just because, oh, it's a good thing to do, but to recognize a calling on your life. See? That this movement is bigger than me and it's bigger than you. And we have a responsibility to move it forward until the time when Yeshua returns. But, you know, he hasn't come back for 2,100 years. So I'm going to plan for the future in this world. Okay? And so when we talk about Beth Messiah, that's why our young people are so important. And that's why it's good to raise them, not only that they know the Lord, but that they make right choices in getting into relationships. Even friends, you know, friend relationships, or even relationships with the opposite sex. Uh, Either way, very important to be built up in that way, but to recognize that you have a calling on your life. And Isaac had a calling on his life. And therefore, how, uh, you know, how important uh, was it? You know, another thing that's really um, uh, very important here is, you know, looking for the right qualities in a person, right? The right qualities in a person. Look at, when we read about Rebecca, everything we read about her at that well is fantastic, right? Yes, of course, you know, she, she uh, did not have a, she was single, right? We would say in our world today, she was single, right? But she, she was a servant, and she was hospitable. She had certain qualities about her. And recognize that, uh, you know, you might be thinking, wait a minute, are you saying, if I get you right, Howard, you're saying that we ought to um, have the right spouse solely for the purpose that we can have babies? No, but yes. Okay? It's a no and yes. I'm pulling the no and yes card. Okay, uh, and that means that it is important to marry someone because you love them, certainly, and you want to spend your life with them and, and, and all of those things and, and, and enjoy each other's company and, and, and all of that and, and have really someone who just, you know, loves you unconditionally and all that. But yes, if possible, having children is really important. Ask, ask people in Israel that question. How important is it to have more Jewish babies uh, in Israel for the purpose of numbers, <laughs> you know, of, uh, of, 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 of uh, propagating the Jewish nation, right? Well, I will say, very important, whoever we are, I've made the point, when we have young people, it's important that 
that we speak into their lives, not just uh, to be happy kids, but to recognize that there's a calling on their lives for the future. The future of this congregation is in our children, not us. We've kind of done our thing, to be honest with you, but it's in our children, you know, in our children's children. So if you are a young person here at Beth Messiah Congregation, you're part of this congregation, you are not only part of this congregation, you are the future of this congregation. And that's why we want to invest so much in you. It's like saying to the servant, go to the old country, and I need you to invest here and come back with the right person, you know? We need to invest that way in our next generations. Uh, and that is, that, is a, um, that is a value, a great value uh, that we see here. So very important uh, for us to uh, raise kids to know the Lord, to serve Him, and to recognize that uh, this is about the next generation, generation. We need to be praying for the right people for our children. We need to be praying about it. And if you're, again, a young person here, you need to be praying. You know, I say, I don't know what to pray about. Pray about your relationships. Pray that you get into the right ones. Because you know what happens? I don't have time to go into the whole thing, but you know, the wrong ones can just lead us down a road of regret and remorse of what could have been. But we don't want that, right? Uh, and then, you know, think about, does a person qualify? You know, to be, if, God, if, if I'm a, a believer in the Lord, God has called me for a purpose, I need a, a mate, you know, whether going either way, I need a mate who's going to walk with me on this journey, that I can walk with on this journey, right? Uh, and remember that there is a future beyond us, right? And the question is, are we preparing for it? I will tell you that at Beth Messiah, we talk about this all the time in our leadership meetings, that the future is like at our doorstep, at our doorstep here. And um, uh, so important that if we don't want to, if we don't want to just say, close the doors, sell it, you know, disperse the, uh, the funds and say a good time was had by all. If we don't want to do that, that's actually a possibility. You know, you never know. Uh, but that is, uh, that is not what we want. It takes young people who know the Lord and, and who have this kind of vision and, and, you know, these kind of relationships that bring that forward, you know. And I'll just say this. You know, when Yeshua, after he rose from the dead, he recognized it was a future after him, right? He says, uh, you know, in uh, Acts 1, 8, he says, uh, you know, after, you know, it's not for you to know the times or epics by which the Father has fixed by his own authority when he's going to return, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to even the remotest part of the earth. Beyond his time, he says, you'll do greater works than me. He even says, but then the most telling person who speaks about the future is Paul, and he speaks to his young protege, Timothy. And in 2 Timothy chapter 1, this is what he says. He says so many things, but this is what he says. In fact, when I meet with a young man in our congregation, I'm usually in 2 Timothy somewhere, frankly, okay? He says... Um, I am mindful, in verse 5, I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois, and in your mother Eunice, and I am sure that it is in you as well. Isn't that interesting? You have a grandmother, you have a mother, 
And then you have his son. And Paul, who knows the family, right? He's laid his hands on Timothy at a younger age. You have a calling on your life, Timothy. Kindle afresh what is within you, right? He says, for this reason, because I know your grandmother and I know your mother, I know your family, so I know what you're like, Timothy. For this reason, I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, cowardice, but of power and love and discipline. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of his, or of his prisoner, speaking of himself. But then he goes on. But so he's encouraging. He's like saying to Timothy, don't forget who you are. And so I would say to all of our young people, don't forget who you are. Whether we're talking about your grandmother or your mother or your grandfather or your dad or all of us. Grandmothers, your grandmothers, your grandfathers, your mothers and your fathers. If you're part of this congregation, this, you have a calling for your future. And so remember that, you know? And just before I pray, I, I will say, you know, when I speak to our young people, when I speak, and we all speak to them and we say different things to them, because I have more opportunity speaking personally to the young men, I try to give the, the option of like life, course, and career. You know, serving vocationally uh, in ministry is a great thing. It's not the big bucks. No, it's not the big bucks. But I think that the New Covenant portion for today spoke about something like that, about where that inheritance is, right? You know what I mean? It's not the big bucks, but it is absolutely rewarding. Whether we're talking about being a rabbi or maybe, you know, if, if you're not Jewish or, or involved in our movement, a, a pastor somewhere or, or uh, in full-time uh, ministry doing something. But on the other hand, and I always, people always say, but don't forget to say the other hand. Yeah, I get it. The other hand is we're all vocationally in ministry, no matter what we, no matter what we do. If you are a doctor, uh, and you know the Lord, your, your job, your role is to be a demonstration of Yeshua, but this is what you do, right? If you're a teacher, you're called to be a demonstration of Yeshua, but that's the thing you do. Or an accountant, or an astronaut, or whatever you do, you mop floors, or you're uh, an IT guy, or whatever it is. That's what you do. You weren't a living doing that, but you were called to be a Messiah follower. You were called to make a difference in people's lives. So, wow, how exciting it would be to do that all day, right? So consider that, consider that, you who are five and seven and nine and 12 years old, okay? Not wait until you have graduated from law school and now think, hey, why don't I talk to this person about uh, ministry, right? It's okay. So let us go to the Lord and pray. And as we like to say, should the Lord tarry, if Messiah doesn't return immediately, may God raise up generations of people who embrace him, who follow him, who love him, who make right choices, and like, uh, like Isaac and Rebekah, uh, make good life choices of mates and spouses and serving God uh, because uh, according to the scriptures, if we have received Messiah, we are all children of the promise. You are children of the promise. Let's pray. Lord God, 
Uh, thank you, Lord, uh, for the great future that you've given us. Thank you also for the children of Beth Messiah Congregation. And not only children, I mean like little kids, but boy, thank you for our middle schoolers and our teens, Lord. God, may, uh, may they know you. May they be, have a passion for you, Lord. And uh, God, um, may we inculcate within them uh, the discernment to make right choices whether we're talking about mates or girlfriends and boyfriends and things like that, or we're talking about just the, the, the kids at school I hang around with or the classes I'm going to take or where I'm going to go. And Lord, thank you, God, uh, that, um, uh, you know, uh, it's a mystery in a certain respect. What we know what we're supposed to do is pray and, and, and open up our eyes, just like Isaac looked up and just like Rebecca looked up. Lord, may, may our young people be vigilant, looking up, looking for opportunities, and recognizing when the right ones come their way. Lord, we thank you, and we, just like we thank you for Isaac and Rebecca, we thank you for our young people and their future. We pray in Messiah's name. Amen.